Support for Unscripted comes from the Institute of International Humanitarian Affairs at Fordham University. Take your career to the next level and earn an international diploma in humanitarian assistance. It's a four-week intensive program taught by practicing humanitarian professionals in locations around the world, from Kathmandu to Amman, New York to Geneva. Students will learn how to facilitate dialogue and cooperation between governments and civil society, how to be more effective during humanitarian crises, and more. For more information on the upcoming program dates and locations, visit the link in our episode description and click on International Diploma in Humanitarian Assistance. Hi, I'm Casey Candela. And I'm Stephanie Fillion, and welcome to Unscripted. Today, the United Nations goes online in an unprecedented disruption caused by the coronavirus pandemic. And we offer an exclusive look at how four ambassadors based in New York are working remotely from their homes, with at least one benefit. This is Unscripted, a podcast taking you inside the United Nations and beyond the scripted debates to the people at the heart of it all, the diplomats and the reporters covering them. Today is day one of me working from home. This feels quite surreal. For the past two years, I've traveled the world to push government leaders and businesses to do more for children. The voice you've just heard belongs to Henrietta Four, the executive director of UNICEF. Like many of us, Four started working from home on Monday, March 16th, just days after the United Nations Secretary General ordered New York-based personnel to start working remotely. That order lasts until April 13th, with a three-week assessment period. Stephanie and I are also practicing social distancing. So while we sound like we're together, we too are working remotely from bases on Long Island. By March 13th, the United Nations headquarters completely changed how it operates, transferring the bulk of its work online. Now the majority of the staff works from home. And the Security Council has postponed all of its meetings this week and may reconvene digitally. In Geneva, where many UN agencies are located, meetings are also being drastically curtailed. That includes the Human Rights Council, which suspended its current session. On Wednesday, March 18, the UN spokesperson gave his first live noon briefing to media from his home, and reporters could tag their questions. Despite some echoes in the broadcast and an overly active chat box to ask questions. It worked overall well. The sudden restriction on in-person work at the UN is partly due to the overall situation in New York City, where the number of reported cases keeps climbing. And last week, the coronavirus hit the United Nations. On Thursday, March 12th, the Philippine mission to the UN announced that one of its diplomats, who works on a General Assembly committee, has the virus. Since then, another UN staffer working in the Secretariat also tested positive. And we learned on Wednesday morning, March 18th, that one of our colleagues in the press corps also has COVID-19. But he's reportedly recovering. But one message the United Nations spokespersons want to be clear about. The UN is not shut down, and the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, is still going to the headquarters to work. I mean, in a way, the Global Health Agency of the UN, the World Health Organization, or WHO, has been the leading global source of information about the outbreak, 
and the rest of the UN works has to go on, providing humanitarian aid to civilians struggling to survive amidst the war in Syria, Libya, and Yemen, and offering assistance to refugees across the world. So needless to say, the UN is needed now more than ever. So we're dedicating this episode to looking at the current situation as of Wednesday, March 18th, and the digital future of the United Nations, how it's working hard to keep its operations going despite the pandemic. Each of the UN's 193 country missions in New York City is responsible for deciding what to do with its own staff based on instructions from their respective capitals and the recommendations of the UN Secretariat. So this week, we got exclusive interviews with diplomats from four countries. Rodrigo Carrasso, the Costa Rican ambassador to the UN, Deputy Permanent Representatives Dmitry Polanski of Russia and Od Inga Kvalhim of Norway, and Mohamed Ali Jalardi, Counselor for Lebanon. Talking with us over Zoom, they've given us some insights on how working remotely, mostly from their New York apartments, has affected what they do. More specifically, we looked at how remote work is affecting diplomacy. Most ambassadors' work require mingling with one another during receptions and engaging in private, face-to-face negotiations beyond the more regimented debates they hold in the Security Council and other meetings at the UN. So talking on Skype doesn't quite cut it. Right, and talking to these different ambassadors this week also showed us that they're not all taking the same approach. For example, Dmitry Polanski, the Russian diplomat, spoke to us from his office in Russia's mission to the UN on the Upper East Side. And he said that he'd feel safe to meet physically in the Security Council chamber at the UN. But that's something other member states want to avoid at all cost. And the Lebanese mission is taking a very different approach. Lebanon started taking precautionary measures like having part of its staff work from home three weeks ago. That's long before New York City declared a state of emergency. But some staff still have to go to the office from time to time because some things just can't be done online. For example, accessing archives. And one UN body that we want to focus on is the Security Council. On Monday, March 9th, the Security Council ran an online simulation to get diplomats ready for the possibility of meeting virtually. The test went well, though some diplomats reported glitches. Still, even though the Council isn't meeting in person this week, they aren't meeting digitally either. Those meetings have been postponed. The Security Council would be using a UN web portal to host its meeting. Members would be able to make statements and vote like regular sessions, but live from their living room. People could follow a live stream as well. But like anything else going digital, there are concerns about cybersecurity. Listen to what Richard Gowan, the UN expert at the International Crisis Group, had to say about the Russian and American ambassadors being targeted for hackers. You know, if I were a Ukrainian hacker, I would sort of be thinking very hard of ways that I could get my voice into Nevin's ears audio feed. Or if I was a Russian hacker, I would be thinking very hard about how I could suddenly take over the sound controls when Kelly Craft is speaking. Well, he has a point. The Security Council deals with matters of international peace and security, and that work cannot be compromised. And the ambassadors are committed to that. While her country isn't a member of the council right now, the Hungarian ambassador to the UN tweeted that she takes a morning walk to the UN every day at dawn, even though she doesn't go inside, to remind herself of her duty as a UN diplomat. 
Another concern about moving the Security Council online is transparency. Holding in-person meetings also involves interactions between journalists and diplomats, and it's unclear how that would continue. Russia is the Security Council's main opponent to holding online sessions. Ambassador Polanski told us he thinks the chamber is still totally safe for meetings. Uh, it is being tested, but there is no legal framework for this, uh, for doing meetings online. So we are trying to fine-tune uh, the necessary appliances and uh, programming to enable us or some of us to go online for the meetings. But that doesn't mean that uh, Security Council is uh, from now on working online. For example, we are ready, if necessary, to go at any moment to the chamber. We think that after the measures that have been taken by UN Secretariat and by the City of New York, maybe the, ch the chamber is uh, one of the safest places uh, in New York uh, not to get uh, coronavirus. But the Security Council is not the only UN body that needs to keep working. Slowly but surely, UN committees, commissions, and meetings are all going digital. On Tuesday this week, the UN's fifth committee, focused on UN budgets, held an informal session to test. Here's Mohamed Jalardi, counselor for the Lebanese mission. So you have two kinds of platforms, the ones that are conducted through the UN webcasting. This is very professional using Cisco uh, supported uh, or empowered uh, platform. This is for the UN committee meetings. These are on trial now, but seems to be working in fact well. Today we had the first meeting. We have another meeting at uh, 3 p.m. So for other groups, like for example, the uh, non-alignment movement or G77, so on and so forth, we are communicating through emails, through WhatsApp, of course, as well. These used to happen uh, before, but also now we are creating a platform on Skype to convene. Tomorrow, we, we're going to have the first session on Skype. So we're going to see how it's going to work. And we're hoping for that to bridge the gap until the city is secured uh, and we can get back to normal life. We'll be right back. Support for Unscripted comes from the Partnership for Transparency, a group of volunteer international development specialists. They work to advance good governance in developing countries by supporting civil society organizations. PTF believes governments alone can't be expected to stop corruption. Their latest research shows that well-designed, citizen-led programs to strengthen transparency and accountability can produce better outcomes than state-led initiatives. PTF's report has practical recommendations for how empowered, engaged, and professional non-government actors can advance Sustainable Development Goal 16. To read the report or learn more about PTF's work, visit ptfund.org. Now, back to the show. Norway's ambassador to the UN, Mona Yule, is also the chair of ECOSOC, the UN Economic and Social Council, one of the UN's main bodies. So we asked Norway's deputy permanent representative, Odinga Kvalheim, what is going to happen to ECOSOC? I know that this is one of the things they, they are discussing. And uh, the UN system has later, you know, also responded in terms of 
capacity building because there are many, you know, it varies among the 194 member states how well they are prepared for digital solutions and to meet via various digital platforms. And so, you know, the consensus principle is very strong in the UM that everybody has to be on board. So at the moment, this is ideas and uh, measures that are being discussed and, and trimmed, so to speak. Meanwhile, many of the meetings have been postponed, and those few that take place also only have participation from the local missions. In those meetings, they also try to implement uh, you know, social distancing, having bigger meeting rooms, um, longer distance between the participants, and, and, and so on. But I can safely say that you know, the uh, amount of meetings are at very low level at the moment. Like we said earlier, informal meetings and discussions are just as, if not more important than official ones. So we asked the ambassadors how working remotely has changed the nature of their work. Here's what the Norwegian diplomat had to say. Well, we're not having physical meetings. We're also representatives from capital, also at the political level, can participate. And of course, that is possible to do uh, for some time. But over time, that really limits the global nature of the UN. It's the only global organization we have with, with such broad membership. And so, of course, it's not necessarily effects that we see right away, but it's very important to have that fiscal or that close um, interaction among uh, representatives from different countries also at the political level. So that is something to be seen down, down the line, you know, what the effects will be. Meanwhile, you know, I think many of us, We'll have to turn things up a notch in terms of how we get used to using the different communication platforms to interact. And I see, for instance, in our mission that, uh, you know, although it can never really completely replace the interaction we have across the table, we also manage to sort out many issues online. But of course, uh, as for now, these uh, measures are of temporary nature, and it all depends on how long we'll have to be in this mode. And here's what Ambassador Carazzo of Costa Rica had to say about it. This type of diplomacy is a highly of a personal contact, a personal relations, a group gathering, decisions made at the common denominator, decisions made on the exchange of uh, views, immediate exchange of views. Perhaps uh, adaptation will come, but not as it has uh, always been. The diplomats also face some other challenges to communicating digitally. Some UN ambassadors may not be experts at navigating Skype, Google Docs, and other platforms. That's what Costa Rican Ambassador Carasso told us. He just turned 72 though he did figure out how to call into our Zoom interview using his phone. The, the part of the work which is more difficult is for some of us, uh, which are not uh, millennials, also adapting to uh, new systems for which uh, we were not fully prepared. We had had uh, some experiences always conducted by uh, other people, and now it is uh, the real thing at the real moment. And yes, adaptation it takes a toll on, on some of us. 
the, the good thing is that, uh, yes, uh, through these means and uh, through these uh, systems, we can overcome what is definitely a, a very serious uh, situation and one that asks us uh, all at the UN and all over the world to do our best uh, to overcome it. There's been a lot of bad news and anxiety about the coronavirus. So let's take some time to look at what diplomats like about working from home. Mohammed Ali from Lebanon gave us a good answer. Like not wearing a suit. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good note to end on, though I'm sure homeschooling is eating up any time they're saving getting suits dry cleaned. But in all seriousness, we want you to know that Pass Blue is taking the coronavirus very seriously. And we have live coverage of how it's affecting the United Nations and the people who work for it in New York, updating our website daily. Visit PassBlue.com. We also have a private Facebook group where you can interact with our journalists to ask questions about our coverage. And send us your anecdotes by tweeting us or emailing us. Those links are in our episode description. That's our show. A special thanks to the four diplomats who took the time to talk to us from their home offices in New York City. That's it for our show. This episode was produced by me, Casey Candela, and reported by Stephanie Fillion for Pass Blue, an independent women-led media site covering the United Nations and global affairs. Dulcie Leimbach is our editor, AI Digital created our podcast logo, and our music is by Poddington Bear. A lot happens at the UN beyond what we report in each episode of Unscripted. And Pass Blue is covering the important news, from women's rights to human rights to the Trump effect on the UN. For day-to-day coverage, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And to subscribe to our newsletter, go to passblue.com. Pass Blue's in-depth and exclusive stories and this podcast are possible with the support of the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the New School, and listeners like you. To show your support, visit Pass Blue's website and click Donate. Unscripted is available wherever you find podcasts. If you like today's show, please rate us on iTunes and share with all your friends. 